I don't really know how to start shows. Come on now, don't start, don't start liking me now. So yeah, I'm funny compared to, you know, well, you'll see later. I stand for mayhem! I know a lot of fucking idiots. I think a lot of shit is mean-spirited just because it goes against what they believe. But the relief of comedy is it takes things that aren't funny and it allows us to laugh about them for an hour. We got a purple suit to buy and a gigantic coffin. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Why Are You Laughing? A History of Comedy podcast. And today, I am pleased to introduce to you the legendary Chris Farley. And this is one that a lot of people have requested. Obviously, it's been on the list since the beginning. It could have easily been one of the first episodes we did. I held off for a long time. Time and I mentioned this with Gary Shandling, where that episode kind of taught me. Uh, we, we can do episodes on people that have been covered because I don't know if you guys know this. Chris Farley's been discussed, he's sort of in the, <laughs> the pantheon of SNL greats. So, uh, you know, um, and spoiler alert I know some people don't like when I get too ahead of myself, but the ending gets a little dark, so it's <laughs> definitely been talked about ad nauseum. But, uh, so I, you know, as we always do here, I kind of wanted to frame this episode. Not as just like, here's here's what Chris Farley did next. Because I felt like it would be a pretty boring episode and stuff you guys have seen a million times if I was like, gang, I don't know if you know this, but Chris Farley interviewed Paul McCartney once. And Whoa. it didn't go great. Let's play a clip. <laughs> Whoa. So I didn't want to pull all the stuff we've heard 10 million times. I wanted to have more of a conversation around Chris Farley. Um, you know, what could have been with him and uh, what was done wrong, different things at uh, points of his career. So we'll talk all about that. I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope it's a, either a fun walk down memory lane or turns you on to things you didn't know as is always our goal here on why are you laughing? And if that sounds interesting to you and you're new to the program and you want to go through the archives, uh, go through our YouTube page. We have the whole playlist there from day one, over a hundred episodes now. Um, or you can go uh, wherever you get podcasts, Apple, Spotify, whatever. Um, the easiest way to find all those links is blindmike.net. We also have links to the other two podcasts that I host, The Blind Mike Project and Who Are These Socials. Um, so check those links out at blindmike.net as well. And if you want these episodes of Why You Laughing a week early, as well as bonus episodes, you can become a Patreon or YouTube member. Uh, subscribe and you get early and bonus episodes. The latest bonus episode, um, we've been doing a lot of these radio segments and we've focused on Howard Stern and Opie and Anthony through the years. Like we've done uh, the origin of Baba Booey. Um, I forget some of the recent uh, Opie and Anthony ones. The OJ. We did. Oh yeah, that was a great one breaking down uh, the OJ book with Louis C.K. So we've done uh, Stern and O&A segments. Today we're tackler, uh, you know, uh, up on the Patreon and, and YouTube members now get uh, a bizarre Ron and Fez saga. We haven't revisited Ron and Fez since the episode we did a couple of years ago, um, but I wanted to look at something we left out of that Ron and Fez Why are You Laughing episode, a bizarre Christmas gift saga that I think, actually shame on me for not including in that episode, because I think it speaks volumes about their relationship. So we're breaking that down. <laughs> Uh, for Patreon and YouTube members. So check that out if uh, that interests you. BlindMike.net is where you get all those links. Yeah. Um, and check out Chris's... Uh, what's your name? Chris Acone. Yeah, yeah. Chris Acone. <laughs> uh, go to VeryGoodShow.org. That's where you can get all yeah. Craig's stuff. He's got a new true crime podcast. Yep. Uh, Toolbox Murders coming out soon. Um, wild stuff. If you like okay. this kind of breakdown, but on something a little more serious. Yeah. 
a little more serious, handled a lot less carefully. <laughs> handled handled significantly less carefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, hey, there's 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 true crime involved with this baby because we get sad, but we try to start a little uh, a little happy. Like I said, I think a lot of people know the story of Chris Farley. He grew up in suburban Wisconsin, and uh, you know was a football player and the usual uh, fat kid story. As a defense mechanism, he obviously, uh, you know leaned towards self-deprecating humor to get him out of it and uh, was a football star. I didn't realize um, just listening to people talk about his like football days. He's only five, nine. He has such a big presence. Right. That I didn't think of him as like an average heighted to short kind of guy, you know? Exactly. He, uh, you can, I always, I first realized how short he was when he was standing next to Sandler. Who's not very tall and, yeah. and Sandler's got him. Well, they, they they talk about this a lot and you can tell it in I mean so many of his sketches, the Swayze one and the, the Matt Foley one, uh would be the most obvious examples. But he's he is an athlete. Like he's yeah. he's he's agile, he's he's nimble, he can fall, which uh, I was listening to Norm talk about this, but like and this was ultimately probably uh, his undoing. But whatever that defense mechanism is, like if you try to fall, to fake fall, instinctively you're gonna put your hand up. Right. Farley was just able to, you know, put his hands behind his back and fall face first if he needed to. He was pro wrestling. Whatever that defense mechanism is, he he lacked. He was like pro wrestling trained. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, you know, everyone talks about, as far as SNL goes, everyone talks about uh, Chevy Chase's physical comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, my arrow is probably geared more towards Chris Farley because he's always the guy I think of mm-hmm. um, as a, just an amazing physical comedian. Um, and so he started at second city, which a lot of, uh, SNL alum did. And I, I didn't quite realize I, uh, my history was a little off here. I thought this was a sketch that Bob Odenkirk did and kind of handed off to Chris Farley. I didn't realize they worked on it together. So we have Bob Odenkirk talking about, um, the, the second city days with Chris Farley on the bridge down by the river. Right. And I just pictured this guy and, and Tony Robbins was becoming big at the time. And I thought, what about a motivational speaker who's living in that? And I pictured that very place in my hometown and he uses himself as like, I'm a piece of shit. You want to end up like me? <laughs> and I wrote that out. My daughter once asked me, what's the most fun you've had in show business? And I said, without a doubt, it was second city theater main stage doing that sketch seven times a week with Chris right in your face. And he would not stop until he made every actor on stage laugh. It to me, Matt Foley is the greatest SNL sketch of all time. I think, I think so because you know, 25 years later or whatever it is, it could still make me laugh, but also in a way I think it kind of broke SNL because that's to me, and I'm sure people have other examples, but to me, that's the example of breaking where it's natural because Chris is a being so funny and getting right in their face when he's screaming at David Spade and Christina Applegate, where they have like no choice, but to, they can't get the lines out. Uh, David Spade has a tough time during that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's gotta be yeah. just the lines in that. Like, Oh, yeah. is that Bill Shakespeare over there? <laughs> That's that's the the Roland Doobies one too. <laughs> it's 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 both uh, amazingly written, performed, 
and so like weird and loud and in your face that it's impossible not to laugh. And then I think like, you know, Jimmy Fallon became famous for breaking and laughing during sketches because I, I think that the Matt Foley sketch kind of paved the way for people to be like, Oh, I want that. This feels like a real moment. Mm-hmm. not realizing that it happening over and over again kind of, kind of makes it not a real moment. And then it's, then it's forced. Then it's you know? Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Who's just going to do yeah. it to be funny and wacky. And that Matt Foley sketch obviously also has the example of the physical comedy I'm talking about where he just falls through the table. Oh yeah. There's <laughs> you, there's Matt. <laughs> it's uh, it's, it's truly incredible so far. Yeah. And people always say about SNL, it's based on, when you were in high school, like mm-hmm. that's the cast that you have. For me, I was a little kid when Farley and Sandler, like, you know, I was born in 91. So by the time these guys were gone, I don't even remember. I never watched SNL. Right. But they were rerun so many times that that is the SNL that I kind of got familiar with when I was young. Like we grew up in a time where it started being played on Comedy Central on Saturday mornings. Right. It was on the E channel all the time, I remember. So I think we started to be the first, we were probably the first generation where it's like the generations before you kind of appreciated, you know what I mean? Like if you were a kid in 1988, you knew Eddie Murphy, you didn't know Chevy Chase necessarily. Right. From SNL that is. But I actually, I completely agree with you, especially because the, the reruns and everything was always that era. It wasn't like any other one. Yeah. It was like from 92 to the middle of Will Ferrell was always on TV. Yeah, so uh, here's what's, you know, ultimately unfortunate, I guess, about Chris Farley is that, like, we only have this era to go on. Like, he was on SNL for only five years, made a huge impact, but he got SNL when he was very young. Like, he had left Second City and and got on SNL, and he was a star pretty quickly, and that's the era we're most focused on because he didn't have a very long run. (laughs) It's like, it's it's, it's not quite as drastic but like when we talked about freddie prins i remember it was a short episode because mm-hmm. i was like i mean the guy had a uh historic career but it lasted like a year and a half so <laughs> right chris is a little longer than that but it did it a little bit longer and he shined brighter i would say uh, definitely so uh where are we going now uh we have norm talking about the time he met him which is a very yeah, funny story <laughs> this is a great story and there's a little more to it that i'll i'll splice in but uh, this is the vibe that Chris gave off immediately when uh, uh, when you would meet him. And Farley, he took me. He never met me before in his life, you know. And he took me back. He said, "I got to tell you a secret about SNL." <laughs> oh, oh yeah. He took me all the way to the back and and Mohawk. Like the wood. This is the wood. No, the, within the within the. Uh, okay, the hotel, right? In the hotel, and he secreted me into this room, and he locked it, and he made sure it wasn't bugged and everything. He said, "I got a secret to tell you." I was very, you know, uh, honored to have this. And then his secret was, he said, "This doesn't go past these walls." Pat. <laughs> Is a woman. <laughs> the first time you're meeting someone too. It's not like a buddy that where you're like, oh, he's going somewhere with this. You have Chris Farley, who's a drug addict, mind you, making sure the room isn't bugged. <laughs> so you're like, what fucking nonsense am I getting into here? <laughs> to say Pat is a woman. <laughs> and uh norm also said that i believe this was also the first meeting that uh or I, I this was something i guess chris would do a lot 
is that he would pretend to be a salad by getting naked and shoving vegetables up his ass and pouring <laughs> dressing on himself and saying, I'm a salad. See, yeah, dude, he's not he's not going through something. <laughs> he's a wacky guy. Yeah. It was very difficult to tell that Chris Farley had his issues. <laughs> But yeah, that's the kind of that's the kind of guy he was always described as. And again, this is why like I almost hesitated to do a Chris Farley episode because a lot of this stuff has been said 10 million times where it's like what you saw, the energy that you saw on Saturday Night Live was what you got by all accounts. Um now obviously there's a lot of darkness that goes with that that we'll touch on. But it seems like based on the the fucking with David Spade off the air um, like all all the stuff that they talk about from the back room of SNL, mm-hmm. that's what created Chris Farley. It's like a lot of those sketches came from just knowing Farley's energy and being like, oh, well, it'd be funny to throw him in this situation then. Oh, yeah. Like, um, I, I know, like, uh, I, we're about to actually get into um, one of his most famous, probably is his most famous sketch, singular sketch. Um, but he had like a ton yeah, of those. I would, I would say I've always thought Matt Foley, but this is the one that in my research came up the most for sure. I think like if you if you go up to someone and say Chris Farley, they're gonna say this. Okay, is, that would be well, my that would be my guess. It was just so big and yeah, Swayze so talk- at the time. Ugh. We're we're talking about the Chippendales sketch, and this I guess was Chris's first. I, this was really his first introduction uh, to the SNL audience, where like um, I don't think he was an established guy at this time. This sketch is kind of what put him on the map. And the sketch, if you don't know, is a Chippendales audition where Patrick Swayze, who's just shredded at the time. Absolutely ripped. (laughs) Is uh, in a a dance off versus Chris Farley. And obviously the imaging of that would be very funny. I didn't realize the controversy that was centered around this sketch. And when I heard Spade and Sandler and Dana Carvey talking about this, I thought maybe it was something that was blown up in their world. And the more I found, this is something that was discussed a lot um, when it comes to Chris's confidence and attitude. Like this being something he was known for affected Chris in a very interesting way that Mm -hmm. we'll talk about. Is the first clip uh, Spade and Sandler? Uh, From uh, Dana Carvey's... uh... The, the fly in the wall podcast. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's, fun. <clears throat> I don't, I don't know if it's on any of this stuff, but I know Kevin Nealon, um, who was a, a judge in this sketch, mm-hmm. put up like a huge stink not to do it. Yes. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll we will talk about that. I don't have Nealon specifically, but yeah, we will get into that. So let's hear from, uh, Spade and Sandler and Carvey first. That's right. You know, Adam, I think you would, uh, understand this when, People just in the last year or so asked me when he did that Chippendale sketch, you know, how could you let that happen? Because of he was took his shirt off and stuff. And they go, that's so rude that you would make fun. They go, why didn't you stop that? I go, first of all, you think I'm going to stop a guy from doing a sketch that's going to blow through the roof? Like I'm going to go and I'm a I'm a feature player. He was a cast member. It was very uh, new. It was his fourth show. Uh, and it didn't even, how about it also didn't cross my mind. All I thought was this sketch is going to fucking crunch. And yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It did. But I'm like, that's not my place. I'm supposed to go yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is going to ultimately hurt you and break your heart. And yeah, you never thought like that. You just, cause he was, he was so comfortable with taking the shirt off. <laughs> and, and everything black, else off. Yeah. And, and oh. taking all his clothes off and fucking being uh, loose and. He, he, yeah, yeah. Looking back at it, I'm, uh, you go, oh, shit, he was in a lot of pain and that was the way he was dealing with it. Maybe, I don't fucking know. But, uh, 
he, 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 there wasn't one part of you that you'd be like, Oh, I don't know, Chris. It's yeah, no longer. Exactly. I don't know if that's going to make you feel good. I, I don't think. And to, to Sandler's point, this is also the nineties where people, particularly guys didn't have that mentality to be like, well, how do you think this is going to make you feel later? Like that just wasn't a thing. No. So to put that on Spade. I thought it was crazy for people to be like, David Spade should have jumped in and stopped this. I think that's pretty nuts. But when I heard them talk about this, I didn't realize that the, this has been the legitimate discussion for years, mm-hmm. whether or not they should have done that sketch, how much it affected Chris. And um, the angle that's really in question here is so like, for those that don't remember the sketch or whatever, um, uh, Farley obviously does this hilarious uh, routine against Swayze and the sketch ends with the judges basically saying, yeah, it's, it's a tough call, but honestly, like, you know, you, you're fat and you're disgusting. We need a man more like Patrick Swayze. <laughs> and that's now Jim Downey described this and he says he doesn't do it, regret doing it that way because at least at the, the time that he originally said this, he doesn't, didn't regret it. I don't know if he changed his mind, but he said, basically the joke was the whole sketch. You think, Oh, obviously they're going to give it to Chris. That would be the funniest thing. So because it's almost a misdirection within a misdirection, because the audience is thinking, obviously the joke is going to be they're, they're going to give it to Farley. Jim Downey's logic was the funniest thing is to point out that this man is fat and still not give it to him. <laughs> and he's Which right. He's kind of right. He's 100% right. He's, he's kind of right. I kind yeah. of agree with him. Now, where Bob Odenkirk and Chris Rock and, and Kevin Nealon uh, have kind of stood. And again, here's the thing. is the, the fact that it's Rock, Nealon, and Odenkirk, if it was some, you know, group that came out and said like, Hey, it's wrong that you treated Farley this way. I'd be like, well, fuck off. Who cares? Right. The fact that it's legitimately funny guys, it gives me Paul. I'm like, Oh, well, okay. They, they must know something. I don't know. So let's hear as this Odenkirk's um, explanation. Yeah. On the, uh, not the right thing to do. Yeah. So let's, let's hear this and then we'll get more into um, their side of the argument. I, I, yeah, I get it that that's the joke, but there are people, the audience is responding to his physical. Um, In your mind, it's a cheap laugh. And also, you and also it told Chris exactly what he shouldn't be hearing, which is that's why you're funny because you're right. stupid and big and right. not, you know, you, the that's not why he was lovable and funny and worth watching and worth being around. Uh, and it just, it just sent that message. It just, it, it was a bad uh, exchange and it, I, I felt, I've always felt bad about it. I've always felt like it was a not the right thing. Now, when you listen there, obviously Odenkirk was like good friends with Farley and ultimately what happened I think that's a lot of hindsight talking. Yeah. Where you know, I, I think it's, we have the benefit of knowing what we now know about Chris's confidence and everything. I think that was written at a time where Farley's the guy who gets naked and pours ranch on himself and says, I'm a salad, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that, that's where I, I understand Sandler's mindset more where you hear him going, how the fuck would we know that in the long run, that would affect him. Now you can say, Hey, you know, in the 25, 30 years since then, uh, mental health has come a long way. We're now open-minded so we can have these conversations just at the time. 
I don't blame them for thinking like, oh, this would be funny because put it this way. If you're, if Chris Farley's not making fun of his appearance, I don't know that he's on Saturday night live at that time. Well, it's not even that it's like, even nowadays, if, so if SNL had someone like this now, besides meat brick, um, and they were doing this, I wouldn't think anything of it. Honestly, if I was on the cast and I'd be, I'd be like, I wouldn't think a thing of it. If people were doing this shit to them when it was off air just to laugh at them, that's when I'd be like, this is not that, right. That's crazy. Yeah. If Lauren Michaels is holding little fatty pig competitions <laughs> <laughs> behind closed doors. Yeah. That's yeah. nuts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but my thing is, and, and you know, you'll hear people break down now. Like you see the look in Chris's eye when he takes his shirt off and you can tell it's hesitation and he's doing it. So, yeah, we can all analyze that and break it down. Now, if at the time he seemed comfortable with it, what are you supposed to do? You know what I mean? How are you supposed to even know? Again, if, if Chris was being whipped and said, take your shirt off, piggy boy, that's that's a whole nother level. I like the but term again, fatty. I think he was volunteering for a lot of this stuff. Fatty pig competition is a very funny term. <laughs> it was the 90s, man. It was hazing. Who knows what they yeah. were doing? Yeah. But yeah, I, I think it's I do think it's an interesting conversation because um, Rock said the same thing. And Chris Rock's whole thing was kind of like he's like, I actually thought calling Chris fat and disgusting at the end of that. He's like, I don't mind the sketch. He's I thought I think calling Chris a fat pig at the end is too on the nose. When we all know that it would actually be funnier to compliment him and kind of like shit on Swayze, which I understand that perspective also where it's like, Hey, we all know Chris Farley's fat. You're not fooling the audience. So hammering at home and being like, he's the fat guy. See, I do get that perspective. But again, this is all with the luxury of, you know, 20, 30 years passing. I guess maybe if they walked around it and they were like, uh, yeah, we were thinking about you, but I mean, we're obviously going to take him. Like if they just did that, well, and you know, can I say this too? If this is, if, if, you know, uh, what would he be? Uh, 60 year old Chris Farley or whatever he would be now was still alive today. I don't think we're having this conversation of Chris Farley was bullied or anything. You know what I mean? Spoiler I think there alert. is an element of like, he killed himself with drugs and we're looking for, that's where it started. It's like, well, maybe not. I'm sure he had plenty of other demons other than that one sketch, you so, know? Sorry to ruin the end of this one, by the way. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Or maybe he doesn't. Maybe it turns around for him. Maybe he's still alive and he's actually a guest on the show. <laughs> I do wait for the DM where it's like, Chris Farley's dead? Why would you ruin that for me? Some of these are so insane. <laughs> so, you might. You might. Um, we'll see. Uh, next, we're going back to uh, Spade and uh, Dana Carvey talking about uh, Belushi. Uh, oh, yeah. So this is, um, uh, this is the producer... Uh, they say his name in here. It's the producer of not Beverly Hills Ninja, one of the one of his other uh, films. But they're talking about um, Chris Farley's adoration of John Belushi and that how that this was the same thing that Artie Lang had, where these guys get in this mindset like being John Belushi is essentially their destiny, which they're talking about here on Fly in the Wall. Thinking he was so perfect, he was always on time, he was always so professional. You know, he wanted to do the best job as long as he was scheduled. And then the second, you know, the movie ended, it seems like things went a little bit crazy, right? Because it was Mm -hmm. unscheduled. And so uh, I definitely wanted to work with him again. We talked about a couple other projects, 
Um, but you know, it, it didn't come to be. And it, the saddest part, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to get, this is like an upbeat thing, but he, That's okay. he, he always would say, you know, my idol, my idol, John Belushi, and I want to be like him and, you know, it's going to end like that. And I said, Chris, no, 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 no. You're the new version. The ones built to last. Right. And uh, I mean, John Belushi genius. Right. But it was, he just, that was like his older brother, almost like his idol. And he just emulated everything he could. It seemed to me at that time in his life when I was with him, and it just, it just didn't have to be because he loved everybody, Chris. Yeah, and it, it, it kind of became a thing, and you, you heard Artie Lang, like, on Stern say that all the time, talk about, well, I'm going to die young, and talked about how he's going to go out, like Belushi and Farley and these guys. And there's a thing, like, to use Artie as the example, I remember a lot of Stern callers would make those comparisons, like, you're going to die like Belushi and Farley, and I'm sure that sort of gets in your mind. Right. Now, that's Artie Lang. This is Chris Farley, who's the fat guy on SNL. Right. So those compares and the drug addict on SNL. Right. <laughs> so those comparisons are really going to get hammered home to him. So it's already that he idolizes this guy and constantly people are making those comparisons to you that it becomes this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy where you're like, oh, well, that's how I have to go. Now, ultimately, they left us at the same age. They both died at 33, which that's very crazy that they were like, the guy on their time of SNL, the the stereotypical fat guy that had the same drug issues, by the way, they, they enjoyed uh, mixing the same flavors. Yep. Um, that is a very interesting comparison. It's weird that he got like almost fixated on like that being his destiny when it does seem like they were very different characters. Like we talked about in the Belushi episode, Belushi could be kind of a prickly pear. He didn't have the glowing, loving tributes right. that Chris Farley did because he could be kind of a prick, particularly when he was fucked up. Farley, it seemed like by no accounts had that. Like he might have gotten more self-deprecating when he was fucked up, but it didn't seem like, and you know, obviously all, I think, drug addicts have their moments, but um, it seemed like he was always it's more or less a delight to be around. And if he wasn't the, the, the victim was kind of himself. Yeah, it, it is. It's such a tough spot. Cause it, it's nuts. If you look at Chris Farley, I would have guessed 33. Never. I would have guessed mid forties at minimum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he never, he never looked great. <laughs> no, no, he did not. But, uh, uh, next we have a uh, spade on Stern talking about Tommy boy, which is just a fantastic movie. Yeah, the Tommy Boy was kind of this. What's interesting about Tommy Boy is it's an SNL movie in essence, mm -hmm. but it's not from any sketch. It's essentially a behind-the-scenes right. SNL movie because it was birthed from Spade and Farley's relationship. Like every other SNL movie, it's you know, um, Night at the Roxbury or MacGruber or something. Both where great. It's a, Both great. A, a sketch that was in their own ways, uh, where a sketch was made and done a bunch on SNL and then they made a movie out of those characters. These were just taking two guys that were, I can't say beloved on SNL because of things we'll get to later, but like two big SNL cast members that they were just like, let's see if this works in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do it again later on. <laughs> yeah. 
Who was the genius <clears throat> to figure that you two guys would be good in the first movie? Who, who, who figured That was Lorne. Was it Lorne who said, yeah. hey, you guys should make a movie together? He said, he told two writers there, write a movie about these guys, the way they act around the office. Like, Farley has a room with Spade, and then he... Spade's like the fake smart one and Farley walks behind him and asks him questions and then I make fun of him and then he It's sort of like the Three Stooges concept. Yeah, like was Mo just, was smarter than the other yeah, two idiots. Yeah, fake smarter. And, right. and then, uh, uh, but I was always like uh, in awe that he was so good and almost didn't know it. So even in movies like Tommy Boy, the only thing I could bring to that is saying, why don't, I'm remembering bits and pieces he would say over the weeks or years that were funny and just go, this actually one line we got to work in because you said it two weeks ago or fat guy in little coat. Let's, let's try to put that in the movie somewhere, even though it's so dumb, but I think people will think it's funny if we do and little weird things and gestures and funny faces. We would, cause he did them so uh, casually that I would try to log him in my head and go, God, it's, that's going to be great. And I didn't. <laughs> and Spade also makes the point that like, What's great about Lauren making that movie is it's a movie that never would have you couldn't pitch that movie to anyone. No, because you're like, well, it's two guys driving around the country selling brake pads, and <laughs> you're like, so is it like pr- planes, trains, automobiles? And you're like, no, there's even less of a point to it. <laughs> but with Lauren making the movie. A, what it gives you is they were able to shoot during SNL, which is pretty crazy schedule-wise. Mm-hmm. So while SNL was on the air, uh, they were going back and forth between shooting SNL and Tommy Boy. That's pretty nuts in itself. But also, Lauren has the ability to be like, hey, we're just going to try this buddy comedy with these two guys, watch it work, and then do it again with uh, other movies that Spade and Farley were in. Um, I also I did see Rob Lowe talking about it, and he said the way we... He goes, I don't know if this was the original idea but the it was portrayed to rob Lowe is like hey you and chris farley are gonna play brothers which they did which you almost see as like a twins sort of scenario where rob Lowe, like this you know unbelievably handsome guy and chris farley are brothers and then they i think they realized what they had with spade and farley as kind of this comedy duo um this uh, actually piggybacking on what you just said, but you brought up Rob Lowe, but David mm-hmm. Spade talks about uh, you know, the fight. Yeah, so this is a, this is a, this is a long clip, so hang with it. But uh, it's an interesting story about the set of Tommy Boy, and also I just think it's um, telling of the Spade and Farley relationship, which is you know legendary at this point. And he looks at me and he goes, "How's your night?" And he goes, "Good, good. Are you feeling all right?" And he goes, mm. "Oh, I'll, I'll set it up a little better. I'm sorry." So obviously, you know, uh, Tommy Boy Rob Lowe was uh, a cast member and Farley and Rob Lowe kind of became friendly. And then when Spade showed up, um, him and Spade, the the, the three of them kind of became uh, very close. And I guess one night Farley said he was sick and Spade was like, "Okay, so you're just going to hang in your room tonight? And Farley says, yeah. So Spade and Rob Lowe go out without Chris Farley's knowledge. And that's where we pick up here. And he looks at me and he goes... How's your night? And he goes, good, good. Are you feeling all right? And he goes, hmm. How's Rob Lowe? <laughs> I, go, I guess he had heard that we were together. I didn't know how he heard. <laughs> and I go, oh, I haven't seen him yet. Hmm. How's Rob Lowe? I go, how's Rob Lowe? I don't know. What do you mean? And he goes, hmm. Where's Rob Lowe? Where's your fucking precious Rob Lowe? I go, I don't know. And he goes, uh. How was drinks last night? And I go, oh, 
Is that what we're getting at? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It was all right. I just we had a drink went to bed. Oh, so you call fucking Rob Lowe so you can have a little date with him, but I'm not. A, you don't call me. <laughs> I go. I don't call you. I don't know. Remember the last word off this the is, wire was you this were. This is sitcomish in how like a it's playing out like a marriage. Like right. literally, it's a the Seinfeld sketch right. where it's like I had dinner waiting by the way, which was for two. <laughs> <laughs> like it's playing out like an almost corny sitcom thing, but uh, by Spade's account, Farley was genuinely pissed off. Sick. You were going home. You were sick. And we had a big day today. Mm. So you call Rob Lowe. I go. Yes, and it's, you can call him Rob. I think we, we know, know who it is yeah. at this point. That's my favorite part. Is that he <laughs> and then we get on the set. Rob Lowe. <laughs> they call Rob Lowe. <laughs> it's very funny to think about. You can almost hear him doing it too. No, no, who it is at yeah. this point. <clears throat> and then we get on the set, and he's still just staring at me, smoking. And we're outside of a scene. I can remember this. I do too. And inside, I think it's you and Bo, maybe. Mm-hmm. I remember maybe it. Maybe Denny. I don't know who was in the scene. It was Bo. I remember. And so. We're at the house. Pete Siegel's the director. So we're outside waiting. I'm dying and we're freezing and we're waiting for some camera problem. So I'm eating a tuna fish sandwich on the ground. This is the part I knew. I knew about the tuna fish sandwich. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm trying to live because I have to eat all the time. And Farley's just st- over me, staring at me, smoking a cigarette. How's Rob Lowe? And I'm like, I, I don't know if we're talking about this more. Or I don't know what to say. Rob's great. He's in the scene. I'm going over my lines. And then he can't stand that it's not going anywhere. So he comes and steps on my hand, my tuna, with his big fucking boots. Those big fucking red wing boots. Ow! With all his thousands of pounds. <laughs> and I go, how you fuck? And then I have my diet coke in my hand, so I just throw it on him. And he gets up and he pushes me down these stairs. There's like four stairs. And right when I get to the bottom and stand up, like, are we in a fight? And they go, action on the walkie. And we just stare at each other. <laughs> and then we turn and we walk in. And I walk in the door. And this is my recollection. I walk in the door and I see you guys. And someone says something. And I'm just staring and my heart's beating. And then Pete goes, Spades line. And then someone yells it. And I still don't say it. And then I go, fuck. And then I just walk out. And Pete goes, um, taking a five. Because no, no one knew what was no going, on. going on. I, rem- I remember. I, I thought went, you'd had a heart attack. I went to my trailer. Farley went to his. I go, oh, we'll be shut down for days over this. I'm not talking to this asshole for like ever. And then Fred came in my room. Fred Wolf, the writer. Fred Wolf, the writer. Bob Weiss came in. The producer. producer. Henchman. Pete probably went to you and Bob Farley and me. And they did the rounds. Farley went out and tackled Skippy. Wow. Because he was so mad he had to hit a guy his size. <laughs> Skippy was a guy that worked for Pete that was about three plus pounds, 300. And he just went up and tackled him just because he had so much anger. And then. No, you guys, you, I, I remember you guys f- used to fight over me. I mean, There's a whole thing about we went to the jacuzzi one night at the Four Seasons. Do you remember that one? Well, I'm sure if you were in a bathing suit, it was really going to up the fucking ante. <laughs> Rob Lowe being fighted, fought over. <laughs> I remember how you boys were. <laughs> There's so much there about their relationship that I find interesting where I don't know of it. And, you know, this is, again, weird where uh, I'll phrase it this way. I don't, I don't mean it how it comes off. But, like, this relationship almost had the benefit of Chris Farley dying. 
where maybe if these guys work together for 10 years, they end up despising each other. Yeah, likely. Because I was going to say, I don't know of any other relationship that I can think of in entertainment where it has this complete, like, older brother, younger brother relationship where it's Farley bullying Spade, Spade event taking it, taking it, taking it, then eventually getting annoyed and snapping on him, and then them coming back together and working together. I don't know how long that would have lasted, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it is. It's it's kind of nice in a way when you hear that they like were able because you hear Spade say there like I'm never working with this fucking guy again, and they made two other movies together <laughs> after right. that, you know, right? Um, um, so it's it's <clears throat> a it's a cool relationship like i said i don't know if it would have stood the test of time ultimately but um it is it, it's nice to hear that they were able to get through a lot of those things and uh chris farley seemed to uh be able to get through certain things but didn't last very long and uh we have we're talking about his sober period uh yeah th- well this is something i didn't know that we'll get more to uh later but why why during- later <laughs> Well, something something happens. Um, no, but I I didn't realize this when he was uh, filming a lot of these movies and most of them SNL at the same time. I you know not a lot of people remember that this sort of period of Chris from like I guess it was must have been ninety three to ninety six when we made these movies, uh, David and mm-hmm. Chris and me and, and the others. Chris was totally sober in this period. Uh, you know, if you, that's what by I, the way, just for context, this is Eric Newman, who is uh, actually Randy Newman's son, but also was kind of Chris's handler on the set of SNL. And his job was essentially like kind of grooming the talent in order to make a movie, like sort of being Lauren's liaison into being like, the, you know, I think we could make Tommy boy based on these spade and Carvey. I'm sorry, spade and, uh, Farley backroom interactions, that type of shit. Um, so Eric Newman was a producer on SNL and then a lot of these Farley movies. Do you buy any of this so far though? What's that? That he was sober for three years straight. Uh, yes. And I'll, well, straight, I don't know, but I'll tell you why I do believe this guy. Yes. Uh, you know, if he, that's what I, I yeah, thought because he, so, he seems so great in Tommy boy. I couldn't imagine he was using, no, yeah, he wasn't blowed in the face no. or like bleary and just on point. We were, and we were together all the time. Mean, my job was to look after him. David was, uh, yeah. So we have a Chris rock clip where he yeah. explains more. I do believe this. Yes. I believe that he was sober. I don't know about straight, consecutively while he um, was working i could while he was filming i do believe that i could buy that i think a very tight ship was run for also chris farley yeah also spade would have known more than anybody Spade probably would have known but also like in those movies he doesn't look fucked up you know what i mean like like Spade said, there he does. His face looks okay. You're not like, oh, this is a man about to die. Yeah, we'll we'll you know? see. We'll see a, uh, a certain late night appearance later on where we're like, mm. yeah, <laughs> that's there. He is. Um, but next we have uh, them talking about him walking off SNL. Yeah, so this is that's it. Eric Newman is his handler, and this is the type of shit he had to deal with. Now uh, we'll get. Let's play the clip, and then I'll tell you a little more about what I think is going on here. Had gotten. Uh, a sketch cut that he was excited about. And, and I remember I saw him outside of Lauren's office um, on, on the, on the ninth floor, you know, the one, the, the office that's just above eight, you know, the, I guess it's the ninth floor. 
And he was, Chris was upset and he, and I was in the hallway with him alone and he said, you know what? Fuck this. Like I'm done. Fuck this. And you know, the show was starting and, and he walked out of down the hallway to the elevator, pressed the down button and got into the elevator. And, and I got in with him because I was like, you know, it was, I, it was a little bit like my favorite year, you know, like I, I had to follow, you know, uh, Peter uh, O'Toole Chris around yeah. and I couldn't, yeah. yes, Peter, exactly. And I, I couldn't, you know, I didn't have a cell phone. Um, but we get into the elevator and, you know, at, at 30 rock, they have all the monitors and the show, I can see that the show has started and Chris and I are now going down the, ele- you know, we're in the elevator. We've, we've exited in the lobby and, I said, Chris, what, you know, where, what, what are you doing? Like, we're, you know, you have, you have like maybe, you know, there's the monologue and then like, you're in the first sketch and he's like, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to 8th Avenue and score. Like, I'm like, fuck this. We're going to go to the Barney Stone. I'm like, no, 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 we're not. I can't like, this is, you know, this is, this will be bad for you. It'll be really bad for me. <laughs> Chris and, will be fine. You'll get fired. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, and I don't know how, like, yeah, we passed the, the security guards downstairs. They're like, Hey, why is Chris Farley in some type of costume walking out? <laughs> Dress as a pilgrim. And then the, oh, yeah, exactly. I think he was like a bumblebee or something. And then, uh, and it was like, is this like part of the show? I'm like, no, I'm like, it's not part of the show. And I, and I don't know how to call for help. And we get out on the fifth Avenue and, um, he, uh, and he hails a cab and I'm like, I'm Chris, please don't do this. And he's like, no, nah, fuck this. The cab pulls up, he opens the door and I'm thinking, do I go yeah. with him? Do I run upstairs? I can't, I don't know. I wouldn't even know who to get to. And he opens the door and then he's like, I'm just fucking with you. Shuts it. And we get back in the elevator, go upstairs. And he goes out right in time to go on. Uh, <laughs> and I had forgotten it. It was so traumatizing. It was a practical joke. Until, <laughs> yeah, it was the, the meanest tragic joke ever, but it was. <laughs> now, uh, it reminded, that reminded me a lot of the Artie Lang pig nose story, by the way, where Chris Farley dresses a bumblebee. is walking out onto Fifth Avenue hailing a cab. To buy but, drugs. <laughs> but. But here's uh, this may have slipped by the keen investigative eye of Dana Carvey, but not these eyes, buddy. I think Chris was going to score drugs and then for some reason changed his mind. Had a second thought at the last second. Yeah. I don't think it was all this elaborate ruse like, oh, I got you, you know? Right. I I think these are and Spade even talks about it. Uh, I forget if it was this Eric Newman interview or one of the other ones they did about Farley. But um, Spade talks about how there was a a code not not even so much a code but like when someone said oh yeah chris is down on ninth avenue or whatever it was people would know that meant he's going to buy drugs and that was just kind of an accepted thing sometimes and that's the the issue with drug addicts in general is that like there's a time there's a period where you do have to be like he's an adult I, I'm not allowed to tell him he's not, he can't do coke or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, right. I'm saying earlier before you realize it's like an addiction. You can't say like, "Hey, you shouldn't be doing." It's like that. He's an adult. He's in the entertainment business. If he wants to, you know, do recreational drugs once in a while. Who the fuck am I to stop him? Also, I'm sure he wasn't the only one doing drugs on Saturday Night Live. I would, so I would go with school. You can't yeah. baby people like that. I would go with most of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like that. That's sort of a you know a, a culture in Hollywood for a long time, is particularly coke in the early '90s. You know, after the '80s. Right. So, um, 
there's moments where you kind of just accept like, oh, this is what people are doing. And then when it gets to an addiction, it's tough to now start being like, hey, you're not allowed to do this. When I'm sure Chris to a lot of people is like, well, I, I did it with you many times. Who the fuck are you to tell me? There there becomes a weird hypocrisy where you almost feel guilty helping the person because it's like, oh, they they have an argument against me. So it's hard for me to stop them now, you know? Right, right. It's uh, it's weird. And, that, and that's why I do sympathize with like, um, you know, you can hear Spade tell a lot of stories or any of these SNL guys that were with Farley. You can hear them tell stories and laugh about them and be like, oh, you were enabling this man. But like, I don't think dealing with a drug addict is as cut and dry as people like the people that like put, to point fingers make it seem it is. We're like, oh, you could have stopped this or you should have stopped this. It's never quite that simple, you know? Right. Um, here we have uh, Norm talking about Saturday Night Dead. Yeah, so this was, uh, you know, at the at the height of Sandler, Spade, uh, Schneider, Rock was gone by this point, but uh, th- those those main guys with Farley, like the the new kids in town, um, after Phil Hart Phil Hartman had left and Mike Myers had left and Dana Carvey and the older regime, uh, this cast started to get a lot of flack, and it's also I believe that one of these pieces was written by a guy who was kind of in bed with Saturday night live and then turned sort of had like an ax to grind. Um, but let's hear Normie talk about this with, uh, Mark Marin. There was a time when I was on Saturday night live, everyone hated it. You know, well, you were doing an update. <laughs> yeah. They hated far. They hated, I just uh, love, uh, this is why I love Norm so much. He, he loves that. I know <laughs> everyone, everyone hated it. <laughs> and it's so funny. Cause it's, it's maybe the f- most fondly looked back at era. <laughs> Now. <laughs> Certainly one of them, yeah. But this is when people were really saying, like, this is the that that's why it's hard to criticize SNL now because I think it's horrendous. But people are like, that's what they've always said. Every year is the worst year of SNL, and it always hangs around. There was a time when I was on Saturday Night Live, everyone hated it. You know, well, when you were doing an update, yeah, they hated Far, they hated uh, Sandler and Farley. You mean critics? Uh, critics, yeah. So uh, it was pretty, everybody was, oh, it's dead, Saturday Night Dead, and all that shit. And so uh, they came, and the guy had an agenda, obviously. And um, But he was very unfair. Like Sandler was very, very funny, and nobody's funny. It was funnier than Farley. And uh, then he presented it as if these guys were always doing shtick, and everyone was looking away embarrassed and yeah. everything like that. And I remember him laughing. Yeah, so he, he yeah. it was very frustrating. You fucking, and they made Farley. I never forget it was on cover of New York Time, New yeah. York Magazine, and they had Farley do a photo shoot where he had a television on his head. Yeah, and it was it was kind of funny. But yeah. Farley's doing a big like a yeah. crazy physical thing with this big TV on yeah. his head, and then they put it on the cover and they said it's comedy, comedy dead. Uh, and how did he respond to that? <laughs> he he wanted to go beat up the guy, and Lauren told Lawrence said, "Oh really? <laughs> you can't you can't beat up people? <laughs> you can't beat up the the the, uh, the reporter? Yeah, yeah. But he was really that angry. He, yeah, he was so he was more angry because they they not for him, but because they attacked Sandler. Actually, he was very protective. And legitimately, I was listening to uh, Spade talk about this, that like it was legitimately in the works where Farley and Sandler were planning on going to beat the shit out of this guy. Mm-hmm. And I think Lauren eventually had to step in and be like, no, no, we're not. We're not doing that. <laughs> but but uh, also, I th- I know a lot of Tina Fey's like stories for 30 Rock came from like SNL and that world and everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is a direct thing, but I know that they kind of parodied 
something like this in uh, 30 Rock where, you know, they get Tina Fey to, they basically convince her to take pictures with rubber chickens and all this sort of shit. And that's what they would do. I think people have wised to it now, but that's what they would try to do with a lot of these, particularly comedians. They would make them look ridiculous. Oh, do something. Now give us a wacky shot. Give yeah. us something silly. Hey. And then, and then you know, kind of lull them into a false sense of security and then write some horrible headline. Like, is comedy dead? <laughs> Chris Farley doing something zany on the cover. Meanwhile, they couldn't have been more uh, appreciative and helpful during the shoot. Like, they're like, yeah, I'll do anything you need. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. But that was uh, that the the time that they were on was starting to get just crucified in the media, and I guess it made Lorne look really bad. And Lorne kind of ended up cleaning house a little bit. Now the way Sandler tells the story is basically like he and Farley had kind of come to the end of their run, where maybe they were thinking about leaving. But still, like, it hurt them to be fired because they, A, hadn't made that decision yet. But also then that's, like, Lorne telling you, get out of here, rather than you graduating SNL, you know? Right. So uh, Farley and Sandler got fired over the same summer um, because Lorne kind of cleaned house. And I guess that's when they started bringing in, you know, the the Will Ferrell and Jimmy Fallon and kind of that younger um, crowd that came in in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, but yeah, by that time, Farley was already a pretty major movie star. They were telling, uh, one story where there was a cover on one of the magazines in the lobby for, of 30 rock for SNL, where, uh, Farley was on the cover of that one. This is a much more flattering cover because it said, uh, it was like $6 million man or something like that, where he got $6 million to do like black sheep. I think it was, or one of those, one of those movies after Tommy boy. I love black sheep. It's such a funny movie. But that's, uh, yeah, he was, if you're getting $6 million for a movie while you're still on SNL, that's a legitimate deal. Like became a star at that point. He was, yep. he was made. So those movies really made him into something. Now I, w- I do like speculating what Chris Farley's career would have been because even like in Sandler's tribute song to Chris Farley, he makes a reference saying, I wish you, I wish you were on a jet with us going to shoot grownups three, which mm-hmm. to me kind of says like Ke- Kevin James is your placeholder. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I mean, that's what always what everyone said, but I think even Sandler is acknowledging it there where it's like, yeah, we got Kevin James to fill the, the Farley void. Right. So I've always thought for, it's unfair to Chris Farley, but I've always thought like, oh, that's just what Chris Farley's career would have been is what Kevin James is now. I don't know. They always like people like to um, romanticize what a career would have been. And they're like, Chris was an amazing actor. He could have done dramas. I guarantee he would have tried one. I don't know how good that would have been. I don't know what it would have been like watching Tommy boy as the, you know, romantic lead of a serious film or whatever, whatever, whatever they would have concocted for him. I, I, I can't picture it. So it's hard to me. For me to be like, oh, that'd be really good, you well, know? As we'll get to later, there was a uh, a certain thing that he was up for that he probably would have had that would have set him way beyond for life. Um, A couple of things, actually. Yeah. Because yeah, there is, there, there's also, so um, he was up for the role of, uh, for Jim Carrey's role in Cable Guy. Uh, that was supposed to be Farley. And there's another one that we'll get to later. Those, those could have changed the 
course of his career in a way. Um, I always say, and maybe it's the Kevin James thing again, like I think he legitimately could have been good on a sitcom. The problem is I think he was like too big for that. At that way point. too big. Once you're starring in movies, mm-hmm. it, it would be a big downgrade to be a, a sitcom dad all of a sudden, even though I think that's the format that might've suited him best. He, he might've been on one like now. Um, what do you mean? Like as a dad on you know, in, a, in his sixties or something. Yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't have done it until like recently. I don't think that's, that's the other thing with Farley is like, I could see him being like, um, uh, the way, you know, Ed O'Neill was on like modern family or something. I could see him having an older role like that and being funny. I think it's kind of those middle years where it's like, I don't know what he've tried to do drama. Like what was the next step for him? Right. Yeah. I, and uh, try to put him in the, uh, Doug Heffernan role. <laughs> Yeah, right. I don't see it. <laughs> but uh, next we have uh, uh, Chris Rock talking about sober enough. Yeah, so this is what we were talking about earlier. This is why I do believe that Farley was sober while he was shooting those movies, because uh, a lot of people were very invested in Farley being sober. I look at Chris Farley when I go, when I, the people I'm really mad with that still I'll never forgive are the ones that fucking just got them together. It's one thing to get a guy sober for himself, but every there were so many people in Farley's life that literally just got him sober enough to work and make money for them. Right, right, and that's why he's dead. Name them. I'm not gonna name them. <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean, just throwing up, pointing fingers wildly here. I would suspect guys like that Eric Newman guy that that was literally their job to keep him sober. Yeah. Um. But but yeah, Chris Rock was. Basically saying that, like, yeah, that he'd he'd get out of rehab and he'd be filming the next day. So it's like you're literally you're not you don't care that he's working on himself or that he's going through all the steps or whatever. You're saying literally get sober. We're gonna bring you bring you to a place where we can monitor you, and then we're gonna let you back into the world to your own devices where God knows what you're gonna do. It kind of it's kind of helpful though in that way because it's like he comes out and he immediately has something to do with a ton of eyeballs on him. Sure, but I don't know if any professionals would recommend that. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't know enough about sobriety to know if that's the healthiest thing to immediately start working. I think of it more like because I was thinking if you were if you're sober for three years, mm-hmm. I always start to think of and I, I don't have a, a drug problem, luckily. So I'm talking out of my ass here. But I always think like, oh, you develop a, after three years, you would almost develop the habit of not doing drugs. You have your own routine, this and that. I don't think Chris really got to develop a real routine because he wasn't living a normal life. He was going to rehab, coming out, doing a sketch show by day and movies by night. So the moment he has a minute of downtime, what do you think he's going to turn to? You know? Right. Hookers. And that's where I understand Chris Rock's point of view. Now that uh, clip we just played is from a very funny segment because it, it, it budded from Howard asking like, what do we do about Artie? And Artie's in the room. And Chris Rock goes, I mean, you're not going to like this. I like, he goes, I feel weird saying this to Artie. You should fire. And Howard's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I mean, fire him. You've given him complete freedom. You've given him like unlimited resources. He's just going to keep doing drugs if he stays employed. And you even, it's interesting because you hear the enabling where Robin is like, well, how would we know if he's on heroin? He and falls Artie asleep goes, I mean, the- I've, I've missed days. Like, I call out sick. 
And uh, Robin's like, yeah, but people get sick. And Chris Rock's like, yeah, heroin addicts never use sick days. You're right. (laughs) He wouldn't do that. (laughs) And it's funny hearing kind of Chris mock their enabling. (laughs) Because it's so clear, like, they're not seeing what's right in front of them. And they're making excuses for Artie. And Chris is the one guy being like, I saw this with with Farley. It's it's not good. You should probably fire him as much as I hate to say it. That's good for him for saying that. Yeah, and even the weird thing is like Stern and Robin are like no, and Artie's like I kind of agree with him. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> Please let me go. Yeah. Now we will get to I. I have some questions for Chris Rock because if he feels Farley was being enabled, uh, there are some things I'm curious about with uh, Chris's final television appearance. But we'll we'll get to that in a minute. I'm sure. Uh, yes. <laughs> Uh, but uh, this is um, Odenkirk on Stern uh, talking about the end being near. Yeah, by the way, guys, I'm sorry. We are getting dark with these last few clips. I apologize. Um, but listen, we're talking about we're talking about the short life of a drug addict. I had no choice but to get a little dark at times. It's 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 about to get real dark. <laughs> so, the, yeah, this is Odenkirk talking about the last time he saw Chris Farley. Um, we had a party at a bar and uh, somebody came in and said, Farley's out back. He wants to say hi to you. I guess he felt weird about coming in probably because he was very always, he was very aware of what he looked like and how people were perceiving him. And uh, he was pretty off the rails. He was way off the rails at this particular event where they were also having a Saturday Night Live reunion event. And uh, I'm sure people had been telling him all weekend, what the hell is going on with you, Chris? Go to rehab right now. You shouldn't be here. Don't go off with those people. I'm sure he was hearing that all weekend. And uh, so he didn't want to come in. So I went out back. This limousine window crack comes down. And Chris looked worse than I'd ever seen him. And, and we just had a nice chat. And he was out of it a bit. And the worst thing about it all, Howard, was uh, my dad was an alcoholic. And I was around and came to understand alcoholism because of that, uh, um, even as a teenager. And uh, that feeling of inevitability that I write about was the worst part of it all. Cause you love yes. this guy and everybody loved him. I, I'm not special in that way. And uh, that horrible feeling of like this goddamn story is just going to play out in the corniest fucking way that any, that even Chris could have told you, even Chris would have told you, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to die. And I'm going to be 30, by the way, 33 when Belushi died, same age. Like, what? Yeah. And it's funny that he used the word corny. Cause that is, it's cliche. It's yeah. all, the, the frustration is that you're like, don't you see what you're doing, man? Like it's everyone knows how this ends. And you're doing nothing to stop it. And that's got to be the frustrating part of dealing with someone like that, where you're like, fuck, man, it's 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 almost scripted how this is working out. And there's like it, you feel almost helpless because like Bob Odenkirk, like he liked Chris and was close to him. Obviously, he's not close enough to him to stop Chris Farley from doing drugs. You know what I mean? But could he have done more? Probably. That's what everyone asks themselves when something like this happens. But like. Chris has to be willing to accept sobriety on his own. Like that's the tough thing about dealing with these people is you want to shake that into him and be like, don't you understand that this is how it's going to end? 
Um, and it's like, uh, you know, I always remember Louis C.K. said this the day after Patrice O'Neill died. And it was always like kind of uh, powerful to me because it was the morning after Patrice died on Opie and Anthony. So Louis was really like the first person to say this publicly where he's like, you know, obviously there's, there's part of your heart that breaks. He's like, but then there's the other party that's like, just put down the fucking soda, you asshole. You know what I mean? Where you're like mad at Patrice almost. Mm-hmm. Where it's like you knew, you had to look at yourself and know that you were going to have health problems. What? Just what the fuck, man? Where you get almost angry. Um, and that, I, I think that's way worse for dealing with uh, drug addicts because they're harder to deal with generally, I think. Yeah, because even look at like Bobby Kelly. I think he had that moment and actually did something about it. <laughs> he did, yeah. I, I think having a kid has a lot to do with that too. Where yeah, Patrice, he did though. He, sort of. He had a step. He had a step. Try. I do think that's different. I do. Know? I do. I agree. But I mean, he was, he was like as close with her as anybody for sure. But yeah, but I know Bob Kelly having a kid, being like this. It's good. I've heard Bob Kelly talk about that where he's like, it's going to be a hack story where it's like, yeah, my dad couldn't put down fucking pizza, so he's dead now. <laughs> right. You know, so I, I, I do think some people have that moment and some people just don't. And unfortunately, Chris was one that didn't, as we all know. Um, now, I listen to Bob Odenkirk's story and I say, Bob, could it really have been that bad? Are you glorifying how bad Chris looked? Uh, and then I watched some of his final TV appearances. So um, Beverly Hills Ninja, I believe, bombed in the box office, didn't do it's, very well. It's so funny. Uh, well, the public didn't think so, at least at the time. Mm. And Chris is kind of reeling from that. Then a few months later, he goes on the Tonight Show. So this is January of 1997, uh, him with Jay Leno. Yeah, Packers. Packers talk. This is, well, can I just say, the, the audio is not perfect, but you do hear what you're hearing. There's a lot of breathing in this one. Oh, uh, yeah, especially, the, uh, yeah, yeah. And actually, beautiful thing. And a Favre jersey. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Well, that is great. Thank you very much. Excellent. Might as well. Favre is the man. I know Favre's watching tonight. Go get some of my butt on Sunday. And, uh, yeah, so I was back in Wisconsin. And then I always ask my I can't breathe. <laughs> Take it easy. Take it easy. Put your face right in there. Oh, that's yours. Sorry. That's all right. It's not mine anymore. It's yours now. No, no, stop yeah. no. The the problem is that, and the reason it's getting like laughs is because that was kind of Farley's character. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I, the, the, the out of shape guy, I can't breathe, all that sort of shit. Yeah, I think with hindsight, or even I, I imagine at the time, if you were really paying attention, you could tell this was more serious than some character he was playing. But with like a live TV audience like that, it reminds me kind of of the Michael Richards apology that we watched. Right. <laughs> Seinfeld's like, like, stop. Hey, that's Kramer sliding in being wacky. What's he got to say? <laughs> and then when he says, I'd like to apologize to the Afro-Americans, you're yeah. like, well, certainly that's a wacky Kramer line. Yeah, the, the whole crowd goes. The person <laughs> would be saying that. Afro-Americans, the whole crowd's like, giddy up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... You hear Farley doing that, and I think a live TV audience, it's you're programmed in that audience to laugh. They yeah. are like, oh, he's doing a bit. You don't realize like, this sounds bad. Like terrible. This is it's a and you hear Jay, and this is where it 
talk show hosts are so like inherently phony that Jay has to be like, so you were on vacation recently. Just yeah. fucking with and his Byron Allen setups we, here. You can kind of see that he's concerned. And right before Farley yes. says like, I can't breathe. He's like moving around. He un- undoes his jacket and then he tries to loosen his tie. Yeah. It's and so this strange. is the whole now again Farley moves around and everything like I said he's very physical so he runs out on stage and all that he did uh, this was where I thought this was crazy is you hear him breathing that heavy and uh, Jay Leno goes you you were a you were a football player back in the day why don't you get into a three point stance for us I'm like <laughs> Jay this could be the last moment he lives <laughs> why are you doing this so yeah I mean to be totally fair he's moving around a little bit. Not enough to warrant this much panting, I don't think. Oh, definitely not, especially up to that point. But um, yeah. uh, this is the uh, continuation from the same appearance. Yes. So you had a good Christmas, did you? I had a good Christmas back in Madison, Wisconsin, definitely. Do you remember your best gift ever growing up? Did you ever have a, a, a gift that you valued over all the other gifts? A gift that I valued over all the other gifts. I was 13 years old. Yeah. I wanted a red bike. Gee, I didn't get one. All the kids in the neighborhood. What? My, my shrinks? No. Okay, that went nowhere. Zip. Not a nip. Hey, I know. But you know what we do sometimes? Me and my brother, Jay, we uh, jump around. I'm going to untie this a little yeah, bit. Yeah, loosen up a little bit. Loosen that up a little bit. <laughs> Let me ask you something else. I know, uh, I know you've been doing the karate. I know you've been working on. I know you've been trying to lose some weight. You look good. You trimmed down a little. Jay, let's face it. I have ballooned up. Yeah. Dude, here's nice. At Christmas, it's all that. Yeah, all the that dairy products in Wisconsin. Yeah. I get all bound up. I'm like a big mouse. <laughs> a big mouse? Yeah, I get all bound up. What did you? Yeah, I mean, even Farley had to be like, Jay, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm in horrible shape. I'm like, I'm like a huge mouse. But you hear you hear where he's fucked up there, where he's like, he he, he gets out of it because of his like bombastic person and the loud zip, not a nothing. Well, like, you, that whole thing kind of saves him a little bit. Mm-hmm. But you hear him where it's, he says like, that went nowhere, but he didn't even tell a joke. Like, well, I think he almost forgot where he was in place and everything. So the reason the crowd, uh, for anyone that was watching along, you, you could see it uh, when, when he, uh, after he bombs, he takes his hair and like rubs it. So it sticks up everywhere. And that's why everyone started laughing. Yeah. And so like, he's like, he's kind of almost able to save. He's a victim of how naturally funny he is. Correct. Is that like, he's clearly a mess, but you still almost want to laugh at him. You know, right. With him, with him. We're never well, yeah, of course. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Team, team Sandler with him. That's right. Um, uh, this next clip is the one you were alluding to with Chris Rock. This is the, this is the toughest one. Yes. To me. He sounds the worst. And this is a uh, two months before he passed away. He came back to in uh, October of 97. So a few months later, um, he came back to host Saturday Night Live. Now, this was strange. If you go watch the monologue, this doesn't like usually people get their monologue. You know, you can have 40 million special guests and all your other sketches. But usually the monologue is is you for the most part. You're the, at least the star of it, if nothing else. This was like a Chris Rock, Tim Meadows monologue. <laughs> And then they would go backstage where you'd see Lauren Michaels and Chevy Chase and all these other people. And the bit is like, oh, we hope Chris can get on stage. But you can tell it's a legitimate concern of theirs. <laughs> and Jim Brewer uh, actually tells an interesting story where Jim Brewer was on the cast at this time. 
And he said that like Farley would come up to him and be like, Jim, am I funny? And Brew would be like, what the fuck? What do you, what do you mean? You're a, you're a legend. What are you talking about? But are they laughing at me? Cause I'm fat. And he has like this extreme insecurity that he's wearing on his sleeve. And he's obviously fucked up on some level. If, if he's not high during it, then the drugs have taken enough of a toll on them on him where he's just like that naturally at this point. Um, so this is where I wonder with Chris. Rock. So the reason Chris Rock is there is as like Chris Farley's backup, which my one question with that is like, what possible sketch are you going to have them interchangeable in? Well, that could be the funny thing. If he was uh, like black Foley, he's <laughs> like, you, he's Matt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. But I was just like, that's a weird stand in is Chris Rock. <laughs> For Chris Farley. Yeah, if if he had enough of those sketches where you like you knew like if he was the lunch lady or something. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That'd be pretty that'd be pretty funny, actually. <laughs> that would be great. But yeah, so that's my question with Chris Rock, where he's like, people it's like in that moment, I guess Chris Rock is sort of being an enabler. And that's why I wonder if that's where he developed that theory, is like, ah, they had me here in case Chris dies. It could have been like legitimately what we're about to watch that he went, oh. Yeah, well, but do you know what I mean? It's like that mentality, like Chris realizing, like, I'm here in case my friend dies. Right. Or has a fucking heart attack or something. Like, that's why they have me here. And I wonder if that played into Chris being like, that's that's just gross. Like, like I don't like that I'm a part of this. Right. Um, but yeah, this is the monologue was essentially Chris Rock and Tim Meadows riffing with some other things in between. They would... F- like flash over to Chris in his dressing room where some, one of the female cast members is talking to him. And then they get Chris out on stage for this. This is all he says in his monologue. And it's a sad goodbye to an SNL legend. Good God. Thank you, Chris. I've really learned some lessons tonight. You know what I've learned? I've learned lessons about responsibility. Responsibility. Responsible not only to myself, but to the people around me. Yeah. That means you guys. I think it's time to quit goofing around. I think it's time to grow up, fellas. I want you to know everybody's gonna be okay. All right, okay. I'm the new Chris, okay, fellas? Now, stay, we got a great show tonight. Mighty, mighty Boston's are here. So- I mean, that's a weird, if they wrote that, that's bizarre to make him do that speech. <laughs> he did like a cross between the Matt Foley and Chippendales dance there too. It's weird. It's, it's, it's weird, but like what's weird about it to me is the idea of maybe Chris just went on that on his own. Like he knows the tension of everyone thinking he's fucked up. I have to say something like I'm the new Chris. Mm-hmm. Like the when he said the word mice, myself and his voice cracks like that. Yeah. Oof. It's tough to watch. You're like, Jesus yeah. Christ. He's all, He's all fucked up. So to give him his, I almost hope that it was him that chose to say those words, because if you wrote that for him and had him go out there knowing he's all fucked up like that, that's a kind of a gross thing to watch, you know? Yeah. It's, it just sucks. The last few clips just suck to watch. It's a sad, it's a sad ending, but it'd be weird if I didn't include him. Right. If I was like enough, you know, and then he passed away in his sleep and it was all fine. Don't worry about it. Kids, let this be a lesson to you. Say no to drugs. Yeah, hey, yeah. Kids, if you're uh, do, mixing cocaine and heroin and cheeseburgers, as Artie would always say. Lose one of them. <laughs> At least, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I didn't say mix two. 
Yeah, yeah. At least <laughs> start with one. one. Start with one and get rid of yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so it was, it was uh, a, a tough ending for Chris Farley. Obviously, the autopsy pictures are terrible. Oh, God. I mean, yeah, yeah. go look up those on your own. We won't show them. <laughs> it's, it's brutal. But the, the, the tough thing about doing this episode is like, we could have had a little more fun, played a lot of Chris's clips, but I feel like those are seen so often. Like I said, yeah. I didn't want to be like, and here he is as the lunch lady. You know, like go look those up on your own. I wanted to talk about the man himself, what he could have what he could have been, what could have been done differently, all of that. But sure. obviously, I mean, a legendary career. And the I guess the other conversation you kind of have is like with some of these guys, is Chris Farley as much of a legend if he doesn't die at 33? Because like I said, if he's on some mediocre sitcom for six years, do we think of him in the same light or do we think of him more like Rob Schneider, you know? Adam, Sand- Adam Sandler even. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know what? Sandler's a better, exa- better example because Farley was a, st- a legitimate star. Right. And Sandler um, so was Sandler's t- a better example where it's like, ah, yeah, his last nine movies I didn't give a shit about. Uh, Hubie Halloween was great. We've talked about this. I know he loves Hubie Halloween. It was funny. Liked, um, it was funny. I liked one Sandler movie recently. I can't remember. Obviously, Uncut Gems, but that's not what I'm thinking of. Um, it's some decent comedy. I have a question, actually, before we go on to the next couple things, which are yep. lighter, I guess. But um, the autopsy picture, how the hell did that come out? I don't know. I know Michael Jackson's came out also. It's just some uh, someone that had access to it that, had, that wanted money. That's oh. the real answer. I've never seen Michael Jackson's. Michael Jackson is pretty grim also, I think. Is it, well, he looked grim alive. For so. different reasons. The opposite yeah. reason of Farley, I think. Yeah. <laughs> There's a kid attached to him. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, Chris Farley, obviously, legendary career. Um, and could it, uh, you know what? You're right. Sandler's a better example than would he have been Rob Schneider. He wouldn't, I don't think he would have gone down that road because he had irons in the fire. Like I said, he could have been the cable guy which is kind of more of a cult classic movie. Like you don't hear that mentioned in the pantheon of Jim Carrey Cable, movies. Cable guy is my second favorite Adam Sandler movie. I mean, uh, Jim Carrey movie, Jim Carrey. Yeah. What's your first, uh, dumb and dumber. I love that movie. Oh, okay. I know it's hack, I know it's hack um, but it, it's, it's, that, that's a, it's like a perfect comedy. Well, it could have been fun. Now as a, as a cable guy fan, do you see Farley in that role? Not even a little bit. Hmm. Interesting. Not even a little bit. He could be like, if he would have pulled it off. One I do think uh, he probably could have pulled off as being Eddie Murphy's co-star. I think this is real. I think they found this footage, unless it's just some. Oh no, this is yeah, this is real. I think um, it is real, right? Yeah, yeah, yep. Um, so let's hear. He he could have had uh, like Craig said. I don't know what his career would have been as far as uh, critical acclaim, but he would have had plenty of quiche. He would have been very set. Nothing like a fire and a noble romantic mission to warm the cockles of your heart. Yeah. I like my cockles room temperature, thank you very much. Hey, if you're not doing this for cockle woman, why are you doing it? Simple. Fartwad gets his princess, I get what I want. Which is? Now, come on, what do you want? I don't have time to set it to music. Oh, this is another one of those onion things. No, this is one of those drop it and leave me alone things. Well, why don't you want to talk about it? Why do you want to talk about it? Why are you answering the question with a question? Why are you asking questions I don't want to answer? Why are you blocking? I'm not blocking. Then why do you have problems expressing your wants? I don't. I want you to shut up. See? No problem. You're just displacing your anger. Believe me, it's properly placed. You're really mad at whoever <laughs> did this to you. No one did anything to me. Yes, yes, yes. Someone hurt you so bad. Someone hurt you many years ago. Leave my parents out of this. 
Breakthrough. Let's go with. <laughs> I wonder. I with with Farley's voice though. When I so obviously, if you didn't catch it, he would have been Shrek. Yeah, is the the point of that clip. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so I do wonder because of the way Mike Myers took it, like with the accent and everything, wouldn't have been like the same. would that have been a more Eddie Murphy centric movie if it was Chris Farley? I don't think it would have been as successful. I don't know either. Yeah, because I feel like that the the voice that Mike Myers does as Shrek is more iconic For than sure. just being like, "Hey, it's Chris Farley." For sure, exactly. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. So I do. I I do wonder about that. That's the that's the fu- the easy thing when uh you're like, oh well, he would have been Shrek. It's like, yeah, but would Shrek have been successful? I think that's the more interesting. Would conversation. he would have been Shrek? But would Shrek have been Shrek? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I don't. I I don't know what Chris Farley's career would have been. I think Sandler's probably a good comparison, where it's like, how many times do you see him in that Tommy Boy role? Because it seemed like Black Sheep. Also, it was kind of, uh, and Sandler has this, where it's like him against the the establishment. You know, the big villain. And he gets the impossibly hot girl also during it. Yeah, it's like, those, <laughs> and those movies kind of died out into the, into the 2000s. So it's like, what would Chris Farley have transitioned to TV? Could he have been a guy, like, something he would have been perfect at, but it's way too small a role for Chris Farley, is like, he could have been Kevin on The Office very easily and been hilarious. Oh, or a role like that. Kevin would well, have immediately could, could he become... have been Michael Scott, you know? I don't know. Now, I'm not saying the actual role of Michael Scott, but like, could he have been a lead in a show like The Office? I don't know. I actually, that would actually have been a perfect one, I think. Chris Farley in The Office? Yeah. Or Chris Farley as Dwight would have been great, honestly. Dwight would have been good, but I could see him being the, the Michael spot. It would have yeah. been, it would have well, been a different show. Did. Chris Farley, let's get him in The Office. Yeah. I'm interested. It would have been a different <laughs> show, but I think that actually would have been very funny. Yeah. That's like a perfect a perfect uh, style for him because he could be yeah. the the goofy guy he normally is. Yeah, and that, that's where I, that's where I keep I keep mentioning sitcoms because I think he would have been much better in in television long term than movies. I know that's where he had his success. Obviously, was movies, but as we saw, that industry uh, dried up for comedies it at sure, some point. It sure did. Maybe because all the good people kept dying, though. Uh, well. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. I think it's more what they were allowed to do. Yeah, die. Definitely. But. Definitely. I mean, even one of the funniest lines in um, Tommy Boy, it would never be in a movie now. Right. When he's like, I was checking the specs on the rotary and he's like, I'm retarded. <laughs> like, like they, they like would not. It's funny. It was funny hearing. So Odin, Odenkirk is talking to Stern. Bob Odenkirk is talking to Howard Stern about Chris Farley and says like, I know I'm going to use, I'm going to use words I'm not allowed to use here, but he Farley would call himself retarded and all these kind of stuff. And he like apologizes to Stern. Like, I'm sorry. I'm saying this. <laughs> it's weird. Uh, but like that, that, even just that line, because the way he delivers it is so funny and it's, you just know it would be like, no, you can't do that. Yeah. So I, you know, we, we had a lot of grimness, so I didn't want to go out on too dark a note. So I tried to, uh, include Norm at the end here as well. I know we heard from Norm a couple times. This was an easy episode to include. Oh, the for great sure. Norm McDonald. Uh, also, uh, before we, I know this is how we usually end it, but so before that, I just want to say honorable mention, uh, him in Wayne's World 2 is one of the funniest roles like ever. I want to just put that out there. If you haven't Farley? seen it. Yeah. He's yeah. like the uh, the roadie for one of the bands. 
Um, oh, well, him and, uh, I mean, Norm's going to mention it, but him and Dirty Work is great. But, like, mm-hmm. I always think of him in Billy Madison. Correct. Even though it's his smallest role, probably. Correct. But, like, like one of the most him quoted. Billy Madison, to me, is Chris Farley. Correct. Correct. Um, and, like, even Sandler said, was talking about how, what made that scene funny. Like, if you just have a guy going like, ah, Veronica Vaughn, she's a fine piece of ass. Yeah. You're almost like, oh, gross. <laughs> yeah, ew. But with Chris Farley going, that Veronica Vaughn. <laughs> like, just overdoing it is what makes that scene great. Well, because you know you're like, well, this character didn't come near this lady. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, before we uh, hear from Norm, I should tell you, go to blindmike.net one more time. If you want to support the show for free, wherever you get podcasts, including YouTube, subscribe on YouTube, please. If you're not subscribed, make sure you do so. Um, so you always get updates when we post on YouTube uh, or wherever else you get podcasts, subscribe there. And if you want to get bonus episodes, if you want to get these episodes a week earlier than everyone else, then become a member on YouTube or Patreon, whichever one's easier for you. Um, make sure you subscribe for as little as $5 a month and uh, it helps the show grow and you guys get extra content. So check all that out, blindmike.net. Uh, you can check everything out that Craig is doing at VeryGoodShow.org. Um, if you want to hear all kinds of slurs, like Bob Odenkirk was afraid to say to Howard Stern and many more, <laughs> then uh, you can check out these shock jocks at VeryGoodShow.org. Yep. And uh, you can also check out Craig's true crime podcast, Rubbed Out. So support Craig there. Please and thank you. Uh, all right. Yeah, like I said, there were a lot, a lot of grimness, as uh, Norm would say. So I wanted to end on a somewhat lighter note because Norm always said the funniest guy ever is Chris Farley. Mm-hmm. And Norm's opinion I find very interesting on comedy where he, he made a good point that kind of changed how I think of some of this stuff. Like, I do think comedy is subjective and whatever makes you laugh makes you laugh. And that means it's funny to you. Um, but Norm would always say, like, I don't think comedy is subjective. I think it's objective. He's like, you're telling me like, I don't have a better instinct on what's funny than like someone from NPR or Katie Couric or something. Great point. You're telling me, I don't know what's funny better, better than them. And the way he described it kind of made me think like, that is true. Like I trust Norm more than it's like what we talked about with Dan Ninen. It's like, yeah, you have a, a, you know, a, a promo video with Obama and Steve Wozniak. That doesn't mean you're funny. Right, you know? or or your inspirational story was you saw, allegedly saw 3,000 people die and went, I need to be funny. Now that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually pretty funny. <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah, this is Norm yeah. talking about who he says is the funniest guy he ever knew. Yeah. Did, you, did you see him later in life when it seemed like things were, were getting bad and he was sort of in trouble? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did. I, 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 he, he- I want to say, too, the tone of Norm in this interview is strange because he's usually trying to be funny. <laughs> You know, <laughs> um, I go. He, he brings it around. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, but it's just the tone. I, I threw me off immediately. Yeah, yeah, I did. I, 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 he, he. The last thing he did was work on a film that I was uh, a motion picture that I was uh, in. So that's the last thing he ever did. So um, I thought he would uh, be fine though, because he was a giant man with huge constitution. You know, and he'd take, you know, he'd take like a steak and he put a big piece of butter on each bite of his steak (laughs) so everything about him was was just giant and so i thought oh this guy will never die i was worried about spade (laughs) because he was a little frail guy you know what i mean like farley was this big giant um yeah so i never worried about him 
But uh, but he was always he never thought he was funny, which was bizarre because everybody was always laughing whatever he said. That was the sadness. It was the best. It was sad because he said like, "I wish I was funny like uh, Belushi," and I was like, "Belushi wasn't funny. Like he was a good <laughs> actor, but you know when you saw him interviewed, he was kind of a, a dark guy, melancholy." You know. Yeah, and that, that goes back to what I was saying before, where it's like Belushi, and you know I know people love Belushi. It was it, his stuff was never for me, but I chalked it up more to him being from 20 years before I was born. Yeah. So his stuff not holding up as well. Yeah. On SNL, I never found him very funny, but I did. I, the only thing I actually found him funny in was animal house. Like I, the, the idea of the, the, the ninja, whatever the fight, the samurai or whatever he was, I don't get, I, I don't even get it. Whereas Farley, it would be, it would be tough and maybe kids now won't, but I truly believe that you could show, that Matt Foley sketch or the Chippendale sketch, or the, mm-hmm. even maybe the Gap Girls or something. Oh, those are great. I think you could show a kid now, Chris Farley, and the kid will laugh. Whereas for me, at least, that wasn't the case with John Belushi. I was like, I don't, what is this? I don't understand. That. Actually, I'm saying cheeseburger. Cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. No Coke, <laughs> Pepsi. Um, if you, if you, <laughs> the Gap Girls, if you, it would like start like a, a, a riot if you started showing that stuff again. Uh, sure. That's true. That's true. I was thinking more Farley in it, I guess. But yeah, no, that, that's true. <laughs> Which I'm like, oh man, this is always funny. And people be like, ah, what's funny about that <laughs> guy yeah, playing a woman? Yeah. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Chris Farley, uh, we're the first to really acknowledge that he's been asked, so. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I hope we did a good job with it. Like I say, I uh, hope we took you down memory lane or hopefully showed you some uh, things you hadn't seen before. And uh, let us know. Always feel free. I get suggestions all the time. And if they're good, I always uh, jot them down. So feel free to send me any suggestions you guys have for an episode of Why You Laughing. We will make sure to get to it. If there's anything you think we missed with Chris Farley that needs to be talked about, like I said, we didn't play any of his sketches or anything like that. But if there's anything you think we missed that we might not know about, um, feel free to message me. Maybe we could do a bonus episode or something about it in the future. Um, But yeah, message me. Uh, wherever you can, social media, Patreon, whatever, go to blindmike.net, subscribe to the show. We appreciate you. And until next time, uh, we will talk to you later on Why You Laughing. Zip it up and zip it out. Yeah.